The secret of Yahuwah is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Welcome back. Yes, we've been off for a month, and we are back. We hope you didn't miss us too much. So, as we all begin this this podcast, I want to give all praises to the Most High, Yahuwah, and His Son, Yahusha, the Hamashiach. Amen. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is my dad, also the pastor, Richard Washington, and we say shalom, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And as you know, this is the podcast where we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and its deeper meanings. So, you know I'm going to start off again. Do you have your Bibles ready? Because you want to get your Bibles ready. You want to get your pen and your pad, your notebook, your iPad, your iPhone, your tablet, your Samsung Galaxy, whatever you use to take notes or even access the scriptures. We want you to get that and follow us as you listen. Uh, before we also get started, we have a poll on our website at psychove.com. S-C-I-C-O-V.com. We would love for you to go there and take our poll because we are looking to do a live show. And we want your input to see what works for you in what days and times for you to be able to listen to our live show. Because you will be able to call in with your comments and also your questions. So please go over to our website, take the quick poll. It is only going to take you less than 10 seconds. So I will turn it over to our co-host. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, what we'll be looking at here as we deal with the Adamic Covenant, we'll be dealing with the Blood Covenant, and we want to look into that as we continue our discourses. So the blood covenant is what we'll be concentrating on uh, in this particular outline and the amount of uh, information that we've already had, we're gonna continue that. So we'll be dealing with the blood covenant. Now, when we speak in terms of the blood covenant, there are a number of vital questions we would no doubt be confronted with such questions as, is the blood covenant a part of Yahuwah's covenant to Adam, or is it separate and distinct from it? Is the blood covenant one that is one all of its own, or does it have a connection with all of the covenants of mankind? When Yahuwah made a covenant with Adam and the succeeding patriarchs, the blood covenant was a part of all of their covenants. While the blood covenant is a part of all of the covenants Elohim gave to mankind. However, even though we say there are many covenants, yet there is only one. It is one covenant given to a number of individuals. And by the one covenant, we count the people to whom he articulated his covenant to. If we count the individuals to whom he gave his covenant, then we no doubt 
have quite a few covenants. However, if we examine these covenants which he gave to them, we will discover that both the, the content and the conditions were the same. Since that is so, then there is only one covenant. So to clarify how many covenants there are, will ultimately depend, will, will be ultimately determined whether we count the persons receiving the covenant or counting merely the one covenant which was given to all of them. Therefore, if we keep in mind that there is only one covenant given to many individuals, before transgression, there was the sanctification of the spirit and the water. However, after transgression, another element came into focus. And this element would be blood. And because it would be the blood of the son of the father, we refer to it as the blood covenant. This blood would also be a part of the primordial covenant elements, just as the spirit and the waters. In the creation of this world, there were these three elements. What we want to see about these three elements is that each one of them is a covenant in and of themselves. We can refer to them as the spirit covenant, the water covenant, and the blood covenant. We call these respective covenants the Numos covenant and the Aqua covenant and the Hemo covenant. All three of these respective covenants simultaneously are one. Each one has its distinctive part to play. We might ask the question, why is it that in creation, Yah uses the Numos covenant first and then proceeds to the Aqua covenant and after transgression, he exposes the Hemo covenant. Let us understand that the holiness and righteousness of our Elohim is of such a nature that any iniquity, transgression, or trespass is repugnant, re repugnant to him. Sin is what separates us from him. As we pointed out, sin both separates and hides him from us. He being of such high and holy state cannot intermingle with sinful beings. The only things a creator, our creator can align himself with is that which is holy and just and good. So the only things and creatures he can be involved with is that which is sanctified pure and innocent. So in order to interact with us, we must come up to his expectation. He will not come down to ours. Whatever or whoever is in his presence must be sanctified by his spirit. In order for there to be the holiness which is required, he starts with the covenant of his spirit. The covenant spirit is the only way that the sanctification that he requires can be attained. 
there is no other power in the universe that can bring about the holiness needed but the Holy Spirit's power, which comes from the Father himself. Aside from this power of the Holy Spirit, the fallen race of sinful beings stand helpless to attain the perfection needed to stand in the presence of the Most High of the universe. Therefore, in order for this spirit to be effectively active in our life, the Numos covenant has to be in union with the water. This water is what we refer to as the aqua covenant. In order for the spirit to be able to do its work for, to do its work for transformation, the water must be aligned to the spirit for the sinner to be transformed into new, a new creation to be fit to be in Yahuwah's presence. We can see from this scenario that the Numos covenant and the Aqua covenant aren't separate and distinct covenants working independently of one another, but rather they are one and the same producing the need, the needed elements to produce the new creature of whom the father would be pleased with. Yet in order for the, for the life of the spirit and the water to be effective in one's life, there is just one other element needed in order that this sanctification can take place. And that element is the blood. What is this blood that is needed in order to attain to the perfect holiness of our creators and his son? Yeshua, who was called Michael in the heavenly realm, was to bring about the blood covenant. He would, he would incorporate it into sinful human flesh with blood void of the original curse of Adam. He would be the second Adam. He would not be given life from the second hand breath of man, but rather his life would come directly from the spirit of his father, hovering over Mary's womb. He was to be the Emmanuel, the L with us. His name would be called Yeshua for he would save his people from their sins. And that's found in Matthew chapter one and verse 21. His blood would atone for the guilty life of fallen man who would be, which would be sufficient to be able to atone for him. So now we have the three elements for what is needed to bring about the sanctification of the fallen race, namely the spirit, the water, and the blood. These three are all a part of the covenant, even though they are individual, a, a covenant in and of themselves, cannot that which is a part of a covenant also be a covenant even though individually they are incomplete by themselves, but when united together, 
They are Elohim's complete covenant. However, it is the blood covenant that brings us into the water covenant, which eventually brings us into the spirit covenant. Even though all of the covenants are in union with one another, yet Elohim approaches them in one way and fallen mankind in another way. At this juxtaposition in our study, we want to concern ourselves with what we refer to as directional deliverance, directional deliverance. In directional deliverance, we are primarily interested in the respective angles by which the father and the fallen mankind approaches redemption. As we pursue this area of our studies, we will also be introducing some other terms which up until now aren't known. However, as we introduce these terms, we will also define and explain them. Let us first understand what is meant by directional deliverance. When we speak in terms of directional deliverance, it is basically, it basically has to do with the direction which one would go to be redeemed. Elohim's plan of salvation is laid out in such a way that one must follow the path Yah has given. Keep in mind that there is only one way to go in order to be saved. Yet in this one way, there are two directions to go. However, two directions aren't on different paths, but rather they are on the same path. What we would like to point out are the two ways on the same path. These two ways involve both the uh, <clears throat> both Yahuwah and man. Yah comes one way on the path, and man comes another way on the same path. Let us observe these two ways. We will refer to these two ways which leads to redemption by the father and man as the theological way of redemption and the anthropological way of redemption. We'll start with the theological way and proceed to the anthropological way. Now, when we, when we look at theological way of redemption. In the theological way of redemption, we are observing the Father or Yahuwah and the way that he is coming to bring deliverance from sin to the fallen race. So what we're looking at is basically is how the Father comes to us and he coming to us, he comes one way, and when man comes, he comes another. So, but the first thing we look at is how uh, the Father comes to us. What we want to see is the way he brings salvation to us on the path of redemption. 
In order to see which way the Father comes, we again want to lay out the elements of salvation, which are the spirit, the water, the blood. We must not only see them as redemptive elements by which we are saved, but we must also see them as a road as roadmaps by which Yahuwah travels the path of salvation. This path we call the theological roadway to salvation. Let us examine this road. Now, the theological roadway to salvation. This roadway of salvation has three journeys. Jehovah takes in order to redeem us. He starts his journey of salvation with the spirit and moves to the water and then to the blood. Now, if you have your Bibles, we just want to look at something here in the book of Genesis. And when we look at the book of Genesis and we look at chapter one in Genesis and we look at verse number two, it said, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Now, what I want you to notice in that verse is that when Elohim started his work of salvation, he always starts with his spirit. And if you notice in that verse, it says his spirit moved upon the face of the waters. So what we are observing is the direction in which he comes. Elohim always comes in the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, what we must understand about creation and redemption is that they go hand in hand. If in the creation he started with the spirit, also in salvation, he would also start with the spirit. And there's a correlation there. Redemption and creation go hand in hand. So what we're seeing here is that when he moves toward us, he must start with the Holy Spirit. He cannot start with anything less. And that's the road that he travels. He starts with the spirit. And then his spirit moves upon the waters. And then after that, he moves to the blood. Okay, that's the direction in which he goes. So the theological roadway to salvation, this roadway of salvation has three journeys. Yehoah takes in order to redeem us. He starts his journey of salvation with the spirit moves to the water, and then to the blood, as we have already articulated. Let us consider each of these journeys separately. We will refer to these journeys respectively as the windy journeying, the watery journeying, and the bloody journeying. So we got the water journey, the wind journey, and the blood journey. Elohim starts with the windy journey. So let us start there as well. But when he comes to us, he starts with the, wind, the windy journey. In the windy journeying, this deals with the spirit of Elohim. When Yah starts his journey to us for deliverance, he does so by his spirit. 
what we notice in creation, we will also notice in salvation. When we, when he commits the creation, we are told in Genesis 1, 2, that his spirit moved upon the face of the water. It is his spirit which paved the way for his creation to take place. Elohim always starts his journey with his spirit. As we see this spiritual principle enacted in creation, even so do we see it also enacted in salvation. In order for Yahuwah to bring about our salvation, he starts his journey to us, to, toward, to us with his spirit. Even though he starts his spiritual traveling to us word, yet he cannot interact with sinful beings of the fallen race of sinners. Remember that it is our transgressions and sins and iniquities which have alienate, alienated us and concealed him from us. And a pure and holy Elohim would not place his Holy Spirit upon any sinful, sinful thing or person. If Elohim would put his spirit upon that which is sinful, it would be as if he were endorsing sin. In order for Elohim's spirit to endorse anything or anybody, it must be pure, holy, and perfect. Consequently, if the spirit of the Father cannot come upon sinful beings, what does he do? He moves upon the waters, awaiting those who would be regenerated through the water of baptism. This takes place, this takes us into Yah's next journeying, which is the watery journey. Now, if you have your Bibles, we want to turn into the book of John, the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we want to go to the third chapter. Now, here in the Gospel of John, the third chapter. And here we want to look at the water journey. Okay. Now, here the Bible says, it says in verse three, Yeshua answered and said unto him, talking to Nicodemus, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of Elohim. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Yeshua answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, Okay, so here again, we see the water and the spirit. So he's letting Nicodemus know that in order to approach Elohim, you got to be born of the water and the spirit. But keep in mind that when Elohim comes to us, he's first starting with the spirit, and then he's moving towards the waters. Okay, so as he moves towards the waters, then that is the aqua. That was the aqua journey or the watery journey. In this aspect of the journey, we have what we refer to as the spirit and the water, which we refer to as the pneumo 
aqua journey. In this journey, the spirit of Yahuwah interacts with the water to bring about a transferring of the life of the spirit to that of the water. At this juxtaposition, whatever or whoever comes by the water would receive an endorsement of the spirit. It is at this stage of Yahuwah's journey that we find that Yah gets ready to meet fallen mankind and to bring about his salvation. When we go back to the creation story, what we find is that after the waters experience the moving of Yah's spirit, then eventually the waters were separated from the dry land, which is called earth. And it was from this earth that man was created from. And because of the spirit of Yahuwah, it brought about sanctification. So, and because the spirit of Yah had sanctified the waters and the waters had, had sanctified the earth, then Elohim could make use of the sanctified earth to make a man in his image and likeness. He could breathe into the nostrils of man. He could breathe into the nostrils of the man he created because the material created him was sanctified material, holy and perfect. Now that the man he created was holy, sanctified, pure, and innocent, he called, he could interact with him without any reservation. What we want to notice is that when Yahuwah breathed his breath into the first person, Adam, his spirit was being stored in him. Adam was the first living temple upon this earth, he housed the spirit of his creator. He was to be Elohim's sanctuary for all time and eternity. By Adam housing Elohim's spirit, this meant that he was a part of the family of Yahuwah, which includes Yah, his son, and the angelic host. Adam was the newest person to be a part of Yahuwah's family. Being a part of such a family meant that one would not only have a spiritual bond with his creator, but in order to maintain such a bond, the life must remain sanctified, pure, innocent, and righteous. Therefore, when Adam and his wife Eve were abrogated, from their Edenic home, they had severed their relationship with him. What caused this breach in their relationship? So when we recognize that there was a breach in the relationship between he and the father, then they were separated. Now, when we turn to the book of Isaiah, it is Isaiah chapter, 58, Isaiah chapter 58. Now, Isaiah chapter 58 says this. 
He said, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. And then in verse two, it says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and, for, and forsook not the ordinance of their Elohim. They asked of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to Elohim. So here it's saying in these verses is that Elohim is pointing out their sins and in doing so he said lift up your voice like a trumpet and let my people know their transgression and let the house of jacob know their sins and he said yet they seek me daily to try uh to know his ways so we see there in that particular passage that it speaks concerning uh that which uh the house of jacob and his people were bogged down in transgressions. And then when we read in Isaiah 59 and verses one and two, it says, Behold, Jehovah's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your Elohim, and your sins have hid his face from, from you. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So we see what separates us from him. So when he comes to us, he comes by the spirit and the water because he cannot come right in contact with sinful man because sin is what separates us. So what caused this breach in their relationship? We know that transgression, iniquity, and sin caused such a separation. However, what was it about transgression that brought about the breach that made them sinful? Once sin entered into their being, it changed their nature. What was it about their nature that took a change for the worst? This change took place within their blood. We now proceed to the third journey that Yah had to take in order to redeem lost mankind. This we call the bloody journey, the bloody journey. We dealt with the windy journey and the watery journey. Now we're dealing with the bloody journey. Now in dealing with the bloody journey, we discover that after the first innocent couple polluted their blood, why is blood contamin why is blood contamination such a detrimental factor in their bonding with their creator? Why does this forbid them from being in fellowship with the Father? When they sin, Yahuwah the Father had to do, had to do some blood work in order to reconcile them back to himself. Because when they sinned, their blood became polluted, their blood became simple, their blood became unfit in order for them to be able to have a relationship with Elohim. 
However, in their sinful state, he could neither touch or fellowship with them. So what was he to do? In order to see what Elohim was dealing with, let us examine the nature of man. We can also, we can do this explanation by probing into the names of Adam and Eve. Let us look into these two representative names. The nature of Adam. As we probe into the nature of Adam, his name reveals to us much about him. One of our English words for Adam is man. In Hebrew, Adam means of the ground or firm. Naturally, if we use the English word for, for Adam, which is man, we would say man means from the ground or firm. Moreover, one of the Hebrew words for ground is Adomah, Adomah, which carries the meaning of earth, ground, land, or soil. In English, we, ref we would, in English, we would look at soil that the meaning of a man is a man from the soil. In Hebrew, we would say Adam is an Adam from the Adomah, the Adomah. The earth is called the Adomah. If Adam comes from the ground, which is the Adomah, then within the word Adomah, we would see the word Adam. If we look at the first four letters of the word Adomah, we have the word Adam. So here we have the first man, Adam, coming forth out of the earth. Furthermore, as we examine the word Adam, the last three letters of the word Adam, we have the word Dom, D-A-M. Dom is the Hebrew word for blood. When we consider the fact that Elohim breathed into him the breath of life and Adam became a living soul, in the breath he breathed was life. If the breath of life entered into the nostrils of Adam, where did it go? We are told from the same writer who wrote the book of Genesis and also Leviticus, who says, when we turn to Leviticus and we look at Leviticus chapter 17, Leviticus. And in Leviticus chapter 17, we'll look at a couple of verses. We look at Leviticus chapter 17 and we look at verse number 11. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Okay. So that's that portion is what we want to deal with. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And in that same 17th chapter, in verse number 14, it says, For it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is for the life thereof. 
So what we see here, he's talking about the blood contains the life. And it goes on further to say in verse 14 of the 17th chapter of Leviticus. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh. For the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. So in other words, he's making the point that all life is stored up in man in his blood. So the life of Yahuwah was in, was in the first created being's blood. Therefore, if the blood houses the life of Yahuwah spirit in our souls is, and our souls is contaminated, this would not only affect the behavior of Adam and Eve, but also their very being. Their very nature was changed when their blood became contaminated with which housed the Holy Spirit in them. In addition to Adam being affected by becoming sinful, we also have his wife Eve. Let's examine her name as we did Adam. So when we turn, when we turn to uh, Genesis chapter two. In Genesis chapter two, we want to look at a few verses there. Okay, Genesis chapter two, and we want to go to verses twenty-one through twenty-three. Okay, so here's what it says in Genesis chapter two, and starting with verse twenty-one. It says, and Yahuwah Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he, he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which Yahuwah Elohim had taken from Adam made he a woman and brought her unto Adam or unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, here the Bible describes how woman came about. Man came from the earth and then we find woman is coming from the man. And so when we look at this scenario, let us analyze these verses for their content concerning the blood. The real Yah extracted from Adam, he made a woman. The word in this text for woman is the Hebrew word is Isha. Isha. I S H S H A H. Isha. And it means a woman or a wife. And that's what she was to Adam. Not only did Adam call her woman, but he also called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So when we look at Genesis uh, 3.20, and when we look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. 
The name Eve is the Hebrew is Chua, C-H-U-A-H, Chua. Chua means life or life-giving. When we consider the fact that the rib taken from Adam was made into a woman, and she in turn would be the progenitor of the entire human family, we are told from scripture that Yahuwah made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon all the face of the earth. And that's found in Acts 17, 26. All blood comes from one source. All nations come from one source. When Adam and Chuah or Eve forfeited their right to the tree of life, the curse of their impure blood was upon all mankind. What we want to examine is the impure blood of the human family passed down to them from our first parents. In the human body, if there is something in it that is causing a disease, in order to detect what is causing the malady, the doctor takes a blood sample. Generally, the blood sample reveals what it is that is in one's blood to determine what is causing the illness. When Elohim breathed the breath of life into Adam, it was the principle of life which governs mankind's being. This principle of life is lodged in man's blood. Therefore, if anything is not right in the life of a person, it can be traced to one's blood. So what is it in the blood of a person that isn't right? When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke the covenant Elohim had made with them. In his covenant were the stipulations for life and death. If they walked in obedience to the covenant commandments, they would maintain life. If they walked contrary to the covenant commandments, they wouldn't maintain their life. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, the covenant command and laws, they entered into a covenant of death. In such a covenant as death, Elohim takes a diagnostics, a diagnosis of the life by examining the blood that houses the life. When Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden, the composition of their blood changed from pure to impure, because in breaking the covenant, evil entered into their life, contaminating their blood. The sin of Adam corrupted his life's blood and the transgression of Eve polluted her life's blood. This would mean that every seed passed on from Adam to Eve to bring forth children would have to be corrupted. Everything that comes down from them was corrupted. To Adam, to Eve, to bring forth children, every child's blood would be corrupted. Thus making Adam 
the father, and Eve, the mother of a central family. What we notice prior to the first couple sinning is that when Eve was introduced to Adam by Elohim, Adam said something that we should pay attention to. What he said concerning her, he said, upon awakening out of a deep sleep and gazing upon the being before him, he uses he he uses some he uses his same analytical mind Elohim had given him to name the zoological creatures, to name Eve. So the same man that he named the creation, he named Eve. Moreover, when he first made eyes upon her perfect symmetrical physical beauty enshrouded in an halo of pure light, he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And so when we read that in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 19 to 23, isn't it a rather uh, ironical that he would say of his woman, she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. But the very thing which gave her life he didn't say anything about her being the blood of his blood. He never said that. When he looked at her, he said, this is flesh of my flesh. Now he couldn't see her bones, but he said, she was bone of my bones. Well, how couldn't, why would he leave out the blood since it is so essential to life? Let us look at some of the possibilities as to why Adam didn't say Eve, his wife, was blood of his blood. Let's look at that. According to the creation account, in Genesis, Adam was made from the earth. Genesis 2-7. Said he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living soul. This would mean that his physical being was composed of the material substance from the earth his blood, his bones, his flesh, and his skin were substance which came from his physical environment. Even though Adam's blood came from the earth, yet his spirit came from his creator. We know that Adam's blood came from the earth because in both the Hebrew words, for earth and man, respectively, are at Adomah and Adam. In both words, we have the word for blood, which is the Hebrew word dam. If the word for this earth has the word blood in it, we can surmise that either the blood came from the earth or that the elements to make up blood was in the earth. I rather to believe and surmise that 
the elements of blood were found in the dust of the earth of which man made up of which made up man's blood. However, what we also know from the creation account that when Elohim created Adam, he was lifeless until he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. Prior to the breath of Elohim entering into his nostrils, there was no life in the materials which make up his body. Adam had all his body parts when the creator finished making and forming him upon the creator's breath coming into his being, life entered into the nostrils, the lungs, and blood, and he became a living soul. Adam's blood housed the breath of life because the breath, because the blood contained the life principle, which is the breath of life. Blood both represents and symbolizes life. Therefore, when Adam said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, these weren't just poetic words pointing out the origin as to where the woman came from, but also what she came from was from Adam's body. All of her physical being could be attributed to her husband, Adam. However, when it came to his blood, which contained the life of Yahor, he couldn't say he couldn't say she was blood of his blood. To say she was blood of his blood would be like saying she was the life of his life. Adam had no life of his own. His life came from his creator. Only his creator had life. And that life which he housed in his blood did not come from him, but from his maker. Consequently, when he and his wife breached the covenant, they contaminated the life of Elohim, which was in them. When we sin and go against Yah's covenant, we are sinning against him. All sin we perform is done first to Elohim. Sin is always directed to Elohim first and then to those in whom we sin against. Therefore, when Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden, they first abrogated their relation to their creator. Now, what we want to observe is what is that when they ate that which they shouldn't have, there were a number of separations which we took place, which took place in their being. And we and we will refer to these separations in our next discourse to see what happened when their blood was contaminated. So at this particular juncture, we'll stop here as we have dealt thus far with the covenants of the, of the spirit, the water, and the blood. And next we'll be showing how 
some separations that um, contaminated his light, which is his blood. So we'll pause at this juncture and see if there's any questions, observation, or insights that you'd like to share at this point. Yeah, the first thing is the word pneumos. One, how do you spell it and what is the meaning of it? Okay, pneumos, uh, that's a Greek word for spirit. It's spelled just like pneumonia. Uh, it's uh, P-N-E-U-M-O-S, pneumos. It's like I said, pneumonia. The first part of that is new, new, new mean spirit. Usually when a person's got pneumonia, something wrong with their lungs or their spirit. Okay. Could you, you say that's P N E U E U M O S. Okay, and that means spirit. Yeah, spirit. That's the Greek word for spirit. Now the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, R U A C H. Okay. Now, um, one of the things I noticed when you were saying that when Genesis, when he cre started to create the world, the first thing he did was uh, move upon the waters with his spirit. Mm -hmm. And then he separated the waters and then he brought forth the earth. Mm -hmm. But it seems like when he made man, it was almost in reverse because he took the dust and I would assume he took the water to form man. And then the last thing he did was to breathe into him life. Mm -hmm. So it seems like he did when he created man, he did everything in reverse of what he did when he created the world. Yeah, you, you, you can, uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can approach it from the standpoint, but, but well, First thing we, we must recognize, though, before he could even start the creation of man, mm -hmm. uh, the spirit had to do his work first to sanctify that which he was working with. Mm -hmm. And once having sanctified the materials that he was working with, then it was no longer what we might call secular materials. It was holy. And if you look up the word holy, it means to separate. And when he separated it and set it aside, it was holy. So he could work with it. And then once uh, he shaped man and formed him, then if you look at it from the reverse that he breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, it could, it could be looked at it that way. Mm -hmm. But the thing that we were trying to emphasize is that whatever he does as Elohim, he always starts with the spirit. If, he do, if mm -hmm. the spirit is not there, he, he doesn't deal with it. And I also found it interesting, too, how you said that Adam never said blood of my blood. Mm -hmm. I thought that, you know, that was very interesting also. That yeah, is... he could not say blood of my blood because he, he, he didn't give life. Mm. See, he could. He could. After, after Elohim had gotten the soil and stuff from the, from the earth, mm -hmm. he could pass that on to Eve, but he could not pass life to her. Wow. Yes. There's only one author of life, and that's Elohim. So he could just say, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and that's it. Wow. And also, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, when you said that uh, when they sinned, everything was corrupted from then on. 
And mm-hmm. we even see that till this day that everything has been corrupted. You know, even starting with their first son, Cain, I mean, he ended up killing his brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we just see that the word is true because it, uh, you know, everything that had was just a whole ripple effect. It does, right. You know. Yeah, every son and daughter of Adam af- thereafter has original sin within it. So this is why we have to get a new blood. And as we continue the discourse, just like I was trying to show the direction in which Elohim comes is he starts with the spirit to move to the water and then the blood. Mm-hmm. But then when we deal with the anthropological journey, mm-hmm. it's going to start with the blood first and then the water and then the spirit. And we'll be dealing with that too. Mm. Yeah, so, everything's okay. corrupt. You said mm-hmm. the anthropological deals with the in, re, in reverse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll start with the blood and then mm-hmm. the water and then the spirit. Okay. And we'll we'll see how that works. But in order for man, for Elohim to work with man, he starts on his journey. He starts with the spirit. Man has to start with the blood, but Elohim starts with the spirit. Okay. All right. Well, Pastor, can you uh, take us to the throne in prayer? Okay, Lord. Well, Father, we thank you that we can again resume the studies, Lord, that we have been engaging in, that the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, may continue to impress upon minds the covenant that you have given to mankind. And as we come back to your covenant, that we can come back to your will and your way and your word in such a way, oh, Heavenly Father, that we can prepare to be able to have the life that Adam would have had had he not sinned. But because he sinned, you gave a way. And that way was through your spirit, through your water, and through the blood. So we pray as we listen to these lectures and put the principles within our lives that we may be able to become the sons and daughters of Elohim. And when he does come, O Heavenly Father, in a sin-polluted world, he can find trophies of himself walking righteously among humanity that is so sinful that we can be picked out and to be a part of your family. So as we listen, O Heavenly Father, we ask for the forgiveness of our sin and the pardon of our iniquity, take away our transgressions, that we may be the pure children that you would have as we reach out to the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah, that he may cleanse us and give us what we need in order to be your children. And when you do send your son, we can meet him in peace. Is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. And amen. 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 Up next is Let's Talk About That. Hello, listeners. We'd like to welcome you to a new section of our podcast uh, that we like to call Let's Talk About That, where we will be talking about still dealing with the scriptures, but we'd be dealing with a lot of things and also what's going on today in today's world and how scriptures relate to it, as well as when the pastor give you the discourse. So we given a little bit different view. So one of the things uh, I noticed, I was just reading the other day, the book of Adam and Eve, which they considered a lost book. We don't really know who authored it. So we don't see it if it, it has been in a lot of Bibles. But one of the things I have noticed uh, in reading when Adam and Eve were 
kicked out of the Garden of Eden was that they did a lot of fasting and praying. They fasted and prayed a lot for 40 days. And so within that 40 days, I started to think, okay, well, when Noah was in the ark and Yahuwah reigned, it rained for 40 days. Then when Moses went up into the mountain to commune with Yahuwah, he was up there for 40 days. And then we also see it was 40 days when Yahusha was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He fasted for 40 days. So, Pastor, my question is this. Is there any significant, what is, is there specific significance to the 40 days? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a lot of significance to that number. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is that when you look at the number 40 uh, in all of the uh, scenarios that you pointed out, uh, they dealt with 40 days. And even when you dealt with Jonah, he went to Nineveh after coming out of the uh, whale's mouth out of the water. Mm-hmm. He went to Nineveh and he preached, you know, 40 days and 40 nights. And he said mm-hmm. Nineveh would be overthrown. Mm-hmm. But let me take you all the way back uh, to the perhaps the first 40 that a lot of people may not uh, be aware of when 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 the when 40 is first maybe mentioned. OK. OK. All right, so if, if you take your Bibles and you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, mm-hmm. and when you look in chapter 1, and you see uh, in verse 2, where it says in the latter part of that verse, it says, and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Now, when you deal with uh, waters, the Hebrew word for waters is mayim. It's, it's plural. It has an I-M on the end of it. Mayim? It's, yeah, I-M, mayim. It's spelled M-A-Y-I-M, mayim. Okay. Okay. Now, when you when you look at that word, uh, water, mm-hmm. okay. Now, when you look at the first letter, which is M, Mm-hmm. And what you'll notice is that when you deal with the Hebrew alphabet, when you deal with the Hebrew alphabet, the M or the Mim is the 13th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay. And it also has a numerical value, and the numerical value is 40. It's interesting how water has Mim in it, mm-hmm. and it, it starts the word uh, for water and it, and the mim has been taken from the image of water mm-hmm. and it means 40. Mm-hmm. Okay, so could there possibly be a connection between uh, 40 and water because wow. 40 is what it rep- represents. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that, it it brings in a lot of curiosity is that when you got water and it's starting off with a letter, which is M that comes from water, 
-hmm. and it, it has a numerical value of 40. So when we get into uh, the creation and when we get into uh, when Noah uh, experienced the waters coming down from heaven and the tsunami coming up from the earth and it comes and destroys the world by water, and he does this for 40 days. And then we see other scenarios in the Bible about 40 days. What does 40 represent? Well, when you look at all of the particular cases, especially when you look at uh, when Noah, when the water destroyed, when it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights. Uh -huh. yeah. And then after that, like we said, in order for something to be pure and for something to be clean and holy and good, mm -hmm. Elohim first starts with his spirit. Yeah. So he he couldn't he couldn't touch this earth until it was purified. So he took the water to purify the earth. Mm. And then he sent out the wind to dry up the earth because now they had paid for their sins. But the point that I want to point out is what is what does it mean for 40 days? Uh, the 40 days means a preparation. Mm -hmm. Usually when you do something 40 days, you own it. You can possess it. it it's a way of cleaning up something and preparing you for something. So when he had it to rain for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was preparing the earth to be purified and clean again. Wow. And so 40 carries with it preparation. Okay. And when you look into the life of Yeshua, when he was in the uh, wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was preparing. He was preparing for his ministry. It was a preparation period. Mm. And then when he got into his ministry, he was crucified. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says, just like he had 40 days at the beginning of his ministry, mm -hmm. if we turn into the book of into the book of Acts, what we'll notice here in the book of Acts, chapter one. And if you look at verse three in Acts chapter one, in verse three, it says, to whom also he showed himself. Now, this is after he had been resurrected. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of Elohim. Mm -hmm. So so what we see in this verse, he's, he says when he started his ministry, it was 40 days. And when he was getting ready to go back to heaven, it was 40 days. And both of them were preparation periods. His 40 days were preparing him for his ministry. But when he left, he was preparing his disciples to be able to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So 40 is a preparation. Wow. And when we can, and we, we can see the 40s that Elijah and Moses, they were preparing for something. Elohim uses 40 to prepare us for something. Wow. It's like I hear, I hear a lot of people say they want to do this and do that. Well, you do whatever you want to do for 40 days. And generally, if you're conscientious about what you want to do, you can accomplish it in 40 days and you can own it because it has prepared you for what you're doing. 
So when you look at the number 40 in many instances in the Bible, it means a preparation period. It is preparing you for something. Wow. So, so I guess in the same notion, uh-huh. he was preparing Moses also when Moses was communing with him for 40 days also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, he had a lot of preparation. Moses had, when he came down, as you know, uh, he had to build a sanctuary, the uh-huh. sanctuary service. And he was preparing for that all up in the mountain. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't, and that's, that's really interesting that 40, I never thought of that, you know, 40 mm-hmm. years, the pre- preparation of something. Cause I know, I, I think they said that when you do something repetitive, I think it's around uh, 40 days that it becomes a habit. Yeah. So, most people, they use, most people use 30, but I, I, 30. I, I, okay. I go with the Bible for 40. Mm-hmm. You do it for 40 days. Wow. Wow. So, so how does, uh, you know, we see that Adam and Eve, they fasted, you know, quite a bit for 40 days. How does fasting incorporate into that? Well, uh, I haven't particularly got into literature, you know, uh, that says that Adam and his wife, uh, they fasted, you know, for that length of time. Uh, but, uh, that could possibly be some truth in it for 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 the simple reason uh, they lived uh, nine hundred uh, in some years. Okay, so uh, one of the things that Yeshua said when he was fasting for forty days, if you notice, let us turn into the book of uh, into the book of the Gospel of I believe is Luke, okay. and Luke was a physician, and we want to look at chapter four, and I want to point out something here. Okay. Uh, here in Luke chapter four, and here, uh, here we here, here we read in verse number in verse number four. Okay. Well, let's we can start at uh, verse number three. Okay. It said, and the devil said unto him, If thou be the son of Elohim, command that these stones be made bread. And Yeshua answered him, saying, It is written. That man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of Elohim. Okay, now what 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 the devil was trying to trying to tell Yeshua was he said he said now Yeshua if you if you the son of, son of Elohim now uh, basically Satan wasn't really in question as to whose son he was that that was not the issue. Mm-hmm. In other words, he was, he was presenting a, a challenge to him. The if was not an if in doubt, but it was an if uh, in fact. In other words, if I say, uh, if 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 I had a if if I had uh, if I had the strength, I, I I I I would lift fifty pounds, which I'm capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Now, when I use that if, I'm not saying I don't have the strength, but I'm saying that if I have it, I can, you know, lift 50 pounds. So when the devil said, if you be the son of Elohim, mm-hmm. you know, command that these stones be made bread. In other words, he's saying, I know you're the son. So if you're the son, why don't you make these stones bread? And so Elohim, what did he do? He said uh, to Satan. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of Elohim. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what I, what I want you to see is, is, is two things. 
Now, number one, when he met the, met him in the wilderness, he he gave him. Uh, he said it is written. That's the first thing. Now, what was written? The thing that he quoted was from Deuteronomy chapter eight and verses two and three. Now, notice what it says in Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse two and three. He said, "And thou shalt remember all the the way which Jehovah thy Elohim led thee forty years in the wilderness." Now, we are not on that subject, but there's a correlation between 40 years and 40 days. Now, there is a correlation, but we're not going to get to that right now. But the okay. point I'm trying to point out, he says, he said, for 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And notice what he says in verse three. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of Elohim doth man live. Now, here's the point. Wow. He first pointed out him is written, which mm -hmm. was the word. If we don't deal with life, we got to deal with the word. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Then the next thing that he's pointing out, he says, man does not live by bread alone. Mm. OK, so if he doesn't live by bread alone, what Elohim is saying, you know, man does need some bread. He, he does need some bread, mm -hmm. but he does not live by bread alone. Now, when we go go to Adam fasting and, and things of that sort, he and Eve, then one of the things that we can look at is, is simply this, is that Adam had life even before he ate food. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He had life. Mm -hmm. Now, food only sustains life. And what Elohim, what Yeshua is saying to the devil is that man does not live by bread alone. So if he doesn't live by bread alone, that means he lives by something else. And what is that? That's the word of Elohim, which comes from his spirit. Mm -hmm. So it is actually his spirit that gives us life. So if it is his spirit that gives us life, then the bread that we do eat or the food that we do eat, it does not give us life. It only helps sustain life. Mm -hmm. Now, what we notice here, what we notice here is this, that when Moses went up into the mouth for 40 days and 40 nights, mm -hmm. he neither drank water, nor did he eat food. So where did he get his life? He got it from Elohim himself. Yes. In other words, mm -hmm. nothing can die in the presence of Elohim. So the spiritual nourishment that he got from his from from elohim being up there for 40 days sustained him and even when he came down the people couldn't stand to be around him because he was lit up with with the glory of elohim that he had to put a veil on him because they couldn't stand it but he was nourished through that light now let me let me point out something that is quite interesting that i found if you turn to genesis uh, chapter 3 and i believe it's 21 Genesis 3.21. Okay. Now, now what you will notice in Genesis 3.21, you'll notice this. Uh, let me see. Genesis 3.21. Okay. Here in Genesis 3.21, he says, he said, unto Adam and also unto his wife, did Yahuwah Elohim make coats of skins and he clothed them. And here's what I want you to notice, notice here. He said he made them coats of skins. Okay. 
All right. Now, the Hebrew word for sin, for skin is or. Okay. Uh-huh. That's how it's pronounced, or. Okay. Now, the Hebrew word for light is also or. Okay. Okay. Now, the difference between these two words is not the pronunciation, because when you hear them, they both sound alike. Now, when you deal with the Hebrew word for skin, it starts with a, a an ayin. An ayin is what we call the eye, you know, the physical eye. That's how they got the the letter ayin from the from the human eye. Okay. Okay. And then they say or. Okay. Okay. So so the way that you spell uh, uh, a skin would be ayin. You'll put an ayin and then a resh. Uh, and then a, 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 a vav, and then a resh. That would be or, okay. Okay. And then when you have, then when you have light, light, you would have uh, aleph. Now aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then you would have the vav for the o, and then you have the resh. Okay. Okay. Now, both the the ayin and the aleph, they are silent letters. They, they both are selling silent letters. They are only given the vowel of which you give to it. Mm-hmm. And since you give the ion kind of an A sound and the alpha A sound, they are pronounced alike. But the fact is, is that or is light, but, I, but, but with the ion on it, or is skin. So what Elohim is doing is saying that the reason why the or, which is skin, is so close to the the or, which is light, mm-hmm. is because he intended for our skin to be able to give forth the light and to deal with the light. Mm. So when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They lost the light. Yeah. Their skin was light. This is why when, when Moses went up to the mountain, he began to glow with that light because that's what his skin was for. Mm-hmm. When Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they both walked around. They had a halo of light. So when they sinned, Adam looked at himself and he hid from Elohim. And when Elohim said, where art thou? He said, I hid myself because I was naked. And when he said he was naked, Elohim knew he had lost his light. So that was with the light. But when Moses went up into the mount to talk with him, Mm-hmm. that light that came from Elohim came into his being, and when it came into his being, it gave him light. He didn't need food. Wow. Elohim doesn't need food. And so when he got that light, that's all he needed. And even breatharians, people who do, do not eat food or water, a lot of breatharians, all they do is breathe air and get sunlight mm-hmm. because they get all of the vitamin D and everything that they need. But the fact is, is that when they were able to be in the presence of Elohim and oftentimes fasting and prayer and all of that, that brings us into his presence. And when he brings us into his presence, then he himself feeds us with his own person because we're trying to get in touch with him. So I can believe that even if Adam and Eve fasted 40 days, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been a problem because they were trying to get in touch with their creator and no doubt their creator would give them the necessary nourishment to be able to continue to sustain themselves because if they could live 900 years, possibly we know that just going 40 days without food 
would not hurt them because Moses and them didn't live but about a hundred and some years, and they went 40 days, and it didn't kill them. So it's possible that the book of uh, Adam could be true on that. You know, and it's funny uh, what you said about food and nourishment, because when I was reading through the book of Adam and Eve, the first book, it seems like they were fasting. They didn't want physical food of the earth. They wanted to return to the garden. I think they saw that they were missing the glory of Elohim Mm -hmm. and they knew what it brought. And when they saw, when they went and um, onto the earth out of the garden, Mm -hmm. I think they really saw that the big difference it was. Mm -hmm. And so they was like, you know, they was petitioning like crazy. They was praying and fasting. Like we don't really want this earthly food. You know, mm-hmm. we just want to come back into the glory of Elohim and get back into the garden. But, mm-hmm. you know, Yahuwah told him what's done is done, you know, until I come again and say to the earth, this is what it's going to have to be, mm-hmm. you know. But, it, you know, it's interesting because I thought about that, too, what you said about Moses, that once you win the glory of Elohim, you don't need you all the nourishment is with him, him himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. So that, you know, that is really powerful. And, and I think that's what his son, you know, when he was going 40 days, when he mm-hmm. was in Gethsemane, you know, just communing with his father. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I just wonder if we commune ourselves for 40 days with the father, will we be able to do the same thing? Because you fasted 40 days, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was your experience with, with fasting 40 days? Uh, it was... Uh, um even prior to you know fasting 40 days i i fasted an entire month about 30 days uh-huh. and then uh when i fasted 40 days uh i think that was uh one of the last fasts that i had uh-huh. that you lose a lot of weight uh-huh. okay and while i was fasting i still was uh drinking liquids you know to flush myself out i uh-huh. think i was on the lemon the lemon the lemonade diet okay and i had lost a considerable amount of weight um i could feel the pulsation of my heart and it seems like my breath and when i breathe i could breathe much more uh uh healthier than i did when i hadn't passed mm-hmm. and all of my senses seemed to be a lot more keener i could smell things that normally I couldn't smell and I could hear things that normally I could not hear. Mm. I remember one time I was fasting and uh, not not particularly the 40-day fast, but just to show uh, how keen you're hearing become. I was, my wife and I, we were uh, going to visit someone. And so we got out the car and I told my wife, I said, I said, I hear some water or something running. Mm-hmm. And I looked and I couldn't see the water running. And then I walked over to some place and it was just like a, 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 a pinhole. In other words, if you take a straightened pin mm-hmm. and you stick a hole into something and you get a little squirt of water. And I think I walked over to this car or something and it was a little, I mean, I don't think if I was fasting, I would have even picked up the sound. Mm-hmm. And so I followed the sound and I followed it and I came to it. And I said, baby, I said, there's a, 
a little pinhole and the water is coming out very small. Wow. But but it's but it's a little stream coming out. And I said, that's what I was listening to. Mm. And so when I started fasting, uh my mind became clear. And when I would read the scriptures, it 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 seems like for some reason that Elohim was speaking to me directly as I read his word. There was no nourishment in my body. There was nothing to interfere with my mind. And as a result, my mind was so clear that I was experiencing not only a, a spiritual rejuvenation, but it seems like my body returned back to when I was young about in, 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 in my, uh, you know, in, in my teens. I, I, you know, I just felt so good, mm-hmm. even though I was hungry. And when I walk out into the sunshine and I breathe fresh air, I could take it into my lungs. My heart was beating and I could feel the pulsation of it. And it just felt that my whole body was being being renewed. And on one particular fast, uh, I was invited to speak. Mm-hmm. And when I went to speak, I was so uh, I was kind of tired and because I hadn't eaten anything mm-hmm. and I tried to get plenty of rest. But when I uh, went for the engagement, I, I really didn't feel altogether like preaching. But mm-hmm. once I stood up to preach, it was almost like. Elohim took hold of my mind and my body, wow. and I preached with such power that I've never preached with before, even eat, even in eating a full meal, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when I experienced that 40 days, I was kind of drained of physical strength, but I could still breathe wholesomely and to still be able to uh, use my mind to be able to penetrate the scriptures and it gave me a it's kind of a euphoria feeling. I felt good. Mm-hmm. You know, I longed to eat some food, but I was trying to go to 40 days, so I didn't. Yeah. But each day that I got up, I felt so good and it, it made me feel good. And so when I eventually got back on food, I could really appreciate it because the digestive juices in my body and everything had rested. And now they was ready to take on uh, some more food. But the thing that I, 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 I notice is that in fasting, uh, whatever diseases or maladies that you have, mm-hmm. sometimes fasting has a way of bringing that out of your body and renewing your body. And if you would continue to eat the right diet from that point on, I think it does a lot to sustain and to provide you with not only longevity, but also the quality of life that makes life worth living. So I, it was quite a few experiences that I had in the 40 in the 40 day fast. Okay. Wow. That's powerful. That's one of the things I'm looking forward. I think I'm going to do uh, at some point, try to fast a 40 day fast. You know? Yeah. Well, you can, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I always suggest that, when, you know, when you do it, um, uh, sometimes the purpose in which you're doing, it has a lot to do with it. And also yeah. uh, when you do the lemonade diet, then you're getting the necessary nutrients that you need, and and it can clean, it can cleanse the body out. Uh, sometimes uh, when you do a, a a forty day fast, you can look at it from two ways. Mm-hmm. You can do it straight, or I know one lady. I think she did a fast for eighty days, and what she did, she ate every other day, mm-hmm. and as she did that, she was she told me 
She said, uh, every other day I ate. Mm-hmm. When she would eat, she would skip a day and then eat the next day. And she said, when she did that, she said she had high blood pressure and everything. She said, but I don't even experience high blood pressure anymore. So before we close this session out, just one last question for the people who may, okay, like if a person has a physical ailment, they may not be able to physically uh, fast from food, but they have something on their heart they want to fast for. So is it still effective for say like I was a person who couldn't physically fast from food, but say they fasted from not watching television for 40 days. Is does yeah, that I, has the same impact with Yahuwah as physically not fasting from food? Well, let me put it this way now. When you when when Yeshua uh deals with this, you know, he may not be measuring whether you went 40 days and I went 30 days or you know, I don't think he measures that. Okay. But I, I think in my estimation, he he measures the intent of the heart. Uh-huh. Okay, let, let let us take when we go down into uh, Persia, when Mordecai and uh, Esther was down in Persia, mm-hmm. uh, Esther told them to fast three days. That's all, just okay. three days. And if everybody fasts three days, then they felt that Elohim would intervene. And so they all fasted for three days. And after three days, they went back to food. But Elohim worked in such a way that I don't think if they fasted any any anymore, if they had fast 40, uh, 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 if they had fasted, you know, 37 days more to make 40 days that they would have gotten any greater effect. I don't think he looks at just the amount of time and how we fast, but I think he looks at the intent also of which, which we're doing it. Because you got people who may do things, and it, it's not even for Elohim's uh, uh, glory, it's just yeah. for their glory. They may fast, you know, yeah. but and they can still get some out of it. I, I don't deny that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, I think it's the intent. The intent. You know, in other words, we're not just fasting to fast, but we fasting with an intent in mind. And we feel that by abstaining from food and putting our mind on it, it helps us to concentrate more. Okay. Because, you know, if you remember uh, in the scripture, after Yeshua fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he went to a wedding in Cana. So when we went to that wedding in Cana, that fast was still on him. Mm-hmm. And so when they ran out of wine, uh, Mary, his mother, came up and said, she's her son. They had run out of wine. Now, let me show you how keen his mind was. Mm-hmm. His mind was so keen that when she said they run out of wine, he, he, he told his mother, he said, my hour has not yet come. Now, what was he talking about? In other words, when she mentioned wine, he thought about his blood that he was going to spill on the cross because blood and wine represents blood. But his mind was so keen that when she said blood, he was thinking about his crucifixion because that's what his mind was on. His yeah. purpose was on salvation. So when Moses and Elijah and all these guys fast for today, their minds was on something because the average person that is fasting, they're looking for food. But if you got your mind on something and reading them scriptures and really trying to get close to him, the food is not going to matter. You, you just continue to fast. And the human body can go... It can go only a few minutes, you know, without air, mm-hmm. just a few minutes. It can go a few days without uh, a water, mm-hmm. but it can it can go a long time without food. You have to deplete almost all of the resources in the body before you die. Many people who are dying because they don't have food, it's not because they died in that food. They, they had a lot of fear 
and stuff on their mind that really killed them, it was not really the, the food. Mm-hmm. Because you can go a long time without food. But once you get that uh, uh, purpose and you're looking at that and you're bathing yourself in what you are trying to accomplish, then most likely you can go through that fast. And if you get to eliminate that, like I said, uh, it's fleshing you out, it's cleansing your system. And yes, you're going to be a little weak, but at the same time, if you're not working on a regular job that you have to do a lot of heavy work, you you make sure you get you plenty of sleep. And as you continue to read the scriptures and read stuff, mm-hmm. Elohim is going to rivet all of that stuff into your mind to help you to redeem your mind, which I call uh, the sanctification of the mind. Because when you fast, it's going to sanctify your mind. It's going to help your mind to be in tune with Elohim. And when you get in tune with him, it's going to be like he's both of you are speaking to one another and you're going to feel his presence. Wow. I think that is a great place for us to end it. I think this was a very good talk and we hope you listeners, we hope you enjoyed the new segment of let's talk about it. If you have any ideas, there's things you may want us to touch on and talk about in the Let's Talk About segment, or even if you want something to pass to the cover in the discourse, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Also, you can also send your questions there also. So that is our podcast for the week. We encourage you to constantly follow us and listen to us every week. But the... But the mercy of Yahuwah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And this is the righteousness unto the children's children, to such as to guard his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Until next week, Shalom.